morning. Good to see you all this morning on this beautiful summer morning. Before I forget, uh, let me say that uh, Jared's been down here working on the hearing devices. Uh, there's two in the front pew here that are sitting on top of the questions box. Those are working. <clears throat> there's an additional one or two in the basket that are not yet working. So uh, according to the IT department, those are ready for use. 
You can, absolutely. There's only two, yeah. All right. <clears throat> there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 1 John 4.18. Studies in the Confession, continuing by Jared in the auditorium here, 9.30 uh, for the adult class. And it's not just adults. We've got some of the membership class with us, and I appreciate the girls coming. Church outing. Our church? <laughs> church outing tonight, 6 p.m. at Big Fish Lake. We've, did, we've done this before. Um, uh, it's over there in the Ortonville wreck. I want to tell people how to get there. If you don't know how to get there, uh, there's lots of ways. Let me see. From here... Uh, from here out to M24, go south on M24 to Oakwood Road. North, north, no, south. South, sorry, I'm sorry. Oakwood Road, west to Hadley Road, and then shortly north. Uh, anyway, everything's a square. You'll get there. If you don't know how to get there, bring it up on your phone or ask Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Men's Bible study, Tuesday, 10 a.m. in the McLeods. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Next Sunday is communion. No dinner, no evening service. Uh, you'll see the note there on the church directory. New acts and facts are here. I actually have one in my hands. It looks like this. So make use of those. Always good. The church no longer has to do water tests for the state. We're exempt. I don't know what that means. <laughs> they held our feet to the fire for how long? No, years. Years. They reclassify this as a type three, so that means we don't have to do the water test. We're so small. Yeah. Here, here's, here's where being small helps. <laughs> Okay, well, we're thankful for that. Uh, anything I've missed, omitted, forgotten? Uh, I will say in regard to the, um, the outing, it says come early if you want to. What is early? Is there a time for early or just show up when you want to show up? Is, there, the, is the first one there supposed to pick a spot or... The pavilion's open? Oh, if it's open. Okay. Okay. Very good. Scripture for meditation is a responsive reading. That's number 821 in the uh, Trinity. Psalm 103. turn the page there. If you'll stand with me, we'll read the scriptures together. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As farther has, as Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, all my soul. As the Lord bless his word. Phil, would you open for us today? Father in heaven, as we come before you once again, we give you the honor and thanksgiving of having a son sent on our behalf to pay for our sins. We ask you, Lord, as we begin this service, that your Holy Spirit would strive with us, commune with us, and hold us up. Great Lord, as, as your children, grace would be sufficient for us in all things. We pray, Lord, that you would hold us in your hands and never let us loose. As we go through this service this day, Lord, we pray that we would be attentive and seek the truth and the wisdom that you would impart by the pastor, that you would give the pastor strength and fortitude and courage to bring forth a message that would pierce the hearts of the Stay of those we have even gone cold. Refresh us, Lord. Boy us up. Gird us. Strengthen us that we have fortitude as we go about our daily activities. Father, we pray that you go with us in all things. Be 
with us now as, as we continue on in our service. In the name of Christ we ask. Amen. Amen. 628 in the Trinity. 628. today, but I'm going to return to uh, Phil, who had one last week. We couldn't get to it, so if you have a hymn today, hold it for another week. Phil, would you remember what number it was? I think it was 630 in the Trinity, just a page over. Well, am I right about that? Okay, just a page over. It seems that with me tweaking this system the other day, this sounds echoey. Is it echoey out there to you? No? Yes? No? No. Okay. no. okay, I can hear myself through the speakers. I just thought it would... See if it's too much. Okay, 630, is that it, Phil? Okay. Yep. <clears throat> oh, is it in the brown? I don't know. Maybe him? Yeah, that's what it is, is it not? Eternal Father Strong and Safe? Yeah. <laughs> 
It's in the it's in the brown too. It's a five seventy five. If you want to see it, in that one. is it okay? I don't know. Look, I'm almost there. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, it's the same thing. Why have you chosen that for this today, Phil? While we're trying to figure out which one to play. Is the best one? All right, five seventy five in the brown. Save all who there the eagles flight 
and keep them hard. Thy watchful care from every peril in the air. O Trinity of love and power, our brethren shield in dangers are from rock and tempest, fire and foe. Protect them wheresoe'er they go. Evermore shall rise to thee glad praise from heaven and, and sea. Scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 John, 4th chapter, we'll be reading verses 16 through 21. 1 John 4, verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love of God, uh, rather on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God richly bless his word today. I forgot to ask you to stand. Okay, all the people that stood, you can sit down, and all the ones that didn't stand, you stand up and we'll do it again. 650 in the Trinity. We'll just, we'll just remain seated. 650. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh sing of my Redeemer with his blood he purchased me on the cross he sealed my bottom paid and made me free I will tell the wondrous 
story How my lungs to stay to say In His promise, in love and mercy He will ransom freely gave Sing or sing of my Redeemer With His blood He purchased me cross he sealed my pardon paid not and made me free I will praise my dear redeemer his triumphant power I'll tell how the victory he giveth over sin and death and hell Sing, oh sing of my Redeemer With His blood He purchased me On the cross He sealed my pardon Paid the From death to life hath brought me, Son of God, with Him to be. Sing or sing of my Redeemer, with His blood He purchased me on the cross. He sealed my pardon. Our scripture text is 1 John 4, verses 16 and following. In our last study, we considered the subject of divine love, and we learn that the kind of love the Christian believer has for God himself and for fellow believers in the faith comes from God, verse 7, which is to say that it is a love which originates with God and is not found natively in the human heart. Instead, it's an implant, proof of a person being both born of God and knowing God. Verse 7. God is the initiator of such love. Verse 10. God loves us first and then we love him back. We reciprocate. Men never initiate their relationship with God. God moves, and then we move. 
God is the cause, we are the effect. This extraordinary agape love is not found in the world because this love is selfless. It's loving others who do not reciprocate that love. It's holy and loves truth. In fact, it rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. The Christian response to agape love is to love others as God has loved us. And in this, the world catches a glimpse of the unseen God, verse 12. This sacrificial love, loving when it's not convenient, loving when it's hard to love, is the distinguishing trait of the Christian brotherhood. And this is so much the case that verse 8 declares, whoever does not love does not know God. Well, today's study continues John's treatise on divine love by observing that perfect love drives out fear. As we come, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Holy Father, send thy Holy Spirit to teach us. I can't teach anything. The words of Scripture are to be divinely interpreted. Who can do determine what these things mean except your Holy Spirit. But praise God, by your grace and through, through the Savior Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is enabled, will enable us to learn of the words of Scripture, and not just the words, but the meaning behind them. How important that is, because the world can read the Bible, but when they read it, they don't learn anything. They don't see anything from God. But when we read the Bible, it's the voice of God speaking to our hearts. And we bless thee for that. So then, Lord, please be our teacher this hour. May God be glorified. May God's people be encouraged and strengthened. May the lost be saved and drawn into your kingdom. This day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The mother of all fears is the judgment of God. Look at verse 16 and 17. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in the world we are like him. Now we may think it a bit strange that throughout this text John has been talking about God's love for his people, his gift of love mentioned in verse 7, his selective love also verse 7, his initiatory love verse 10, and then in verse 16 and following he introduces the subject of the day of judgment. Ooh. Judgment. Love, 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 love. And then he talks about judgment. What does God's love have to do with judgment? Judgment is contrary to our views of love. Judgment makes us fearful, and rightly so, for the Bible does not whitewash God's wrath and his coming judgment. Men fear death. 
And they fear judgment more, which has to do with what happens after death. The interesting thing is that God himself participates in this promise of judgment, knowing full well that fear will be the result. After speaking of how the righteous are firmly planted by the waters of life and draw strength from them for their souls, the psalmist says, Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. What a way to start out the entire book of Psalms, if you think about that. Psalm 1, verse 4. Solomon, speaking the wisdom of God, testifies against the young adults whose lives are characterized by immorality and self-centered conduct. And he uses sarcasm to do this. He says things like this. Oh, be happy, young men. While you're young, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know, ah, uh, there's a but here. But know that all these things God will bring you, for all these things God will bring you to judgment. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9 and chapter 12 verse 4. So the all-seeing God, which we studied in the adult class this morning, the all-seeing God records it in all of its detail in his impeccable memory. Motive, attitude, actions, results. It's all there in the mind of God. And unlike a computer hard drive, it cannot be erased. God told Jeremiah, Now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, The Lord will roar on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. The tumult will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. And at that time, those slain by the Lord will be everywhere, from one end of the earth to the other. They will not be mourned or gathered up or buried, but will be like refuse lying on the ground. Ooh, <clears throat> terrible description. Jeremiah 25, verses 30 and following. If you've ever watched any of the films on the Holocaust or even on the ghetto in Warsaw during Nazi Germany, would not be unusual to see people lying in the streets, decaying where they dropped. And that is what God is saying. The day is coming for the nations when that will be the case. The writer of Hebrews tells us that a man, that is a person, is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's a sobering verse. Hebrews 9.27 or again, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
how much more severely do you think a man <coughs> deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctifies him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, verse 28 and following. Did you know that Jesus himself spoke of the coming judgment? He says, but I tell you that a man will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Matthew 12, verse 36. And then just four verses later, the men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now, and now, one greater than Jonah is here, referring to himself. Matthew 12, verse 41. It's one thing to reject one of God's preachers. It's quite another thing to reject God's son. In Matthew 24, verse 27 and following. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And at that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Matthew 24, verse 27 and following. Now believe me when I say that these scriptures, these scriptures that I've just read are literally a droplet, a droplet in the cup of God's wrath when it comes to all that the Bible has to say about judgment. And the result of these biblical statements is what? It's great fear. Great fear. Luke's account tells us, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. Luke 21, verse 9 and following. And then in verses 25, same chapter, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke 21, verse 25 and following. 
The writer of Hebrews says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Hebrews 10, verse 26. What's the fear factor of the subject of judgment? Why do people fear this? Why is it? Why is it fearful? John tells us in our text, verse 18, fear has to do with punishment. Ah, ah, there it is. But punishment for what? Well, punishment for disobedience. Punishment for rebellion to God's law. What the Bible calls plainly sin, S-I-N. 1 John 3, verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, writes John. We don't like to think about it. In fact, we will push it into the back recesses of our minds. Paul says that sinners suppress the truth by their wickedness, Romans 1, verse 18. But the truth still surfaces, especially in moments of crisis, which cause people to think of death and dying. And that truth being, someday God is going to punish me for my sins. And it is that punishment which people know in their heart of hearts must come, must come, if God has even one ounce of justice in him. It's that knowledge that causes them to fear. People can only go so long kidding themselves and being self-deceived before reality begins to set in. God is going to get me. There's a hell to come which is very real. Think of all the many parables that Jesus ended with something like this. They were cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, I know, jokes are made about hell all the time, but hell is no joke. You do not know of anything in your experience which even approximates hell. The recent firestorms in California which took people's lives burned thousands of homes, destroyed millions of acres, and resulted in the loss of hundreds of millions of dollars of personal property, was labeled by firefighters and fire victims alike. Oh, it was like a living hell, they said. Or it was hell on earth. An unquenchable inferno, I heard one say. But none of these descriptions come close to the hell of God's punishment. Isaiah predicted that when judgment falls on the unrepentant, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. And then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah 8 verse 21 and 22. Jesus confirmed what Isaiah predicted, saying, The subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside 
into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8 verse 12. And see, we think of fire giving light. We watch the news of the California fires. And even in the pitch of night, the flames illuminated the skies and the terrain below. Well, let me tell you, hell is a fire with no light. It is a heat with no illumination. You will not see your friends there. If I heard a lot of people joke about it. You will be alone there. In case in the blackest night there ever was. You say, Pastor, well, you're trying to scare us. No. Would to God that I could scare you enough to repent and come to Christ. But words fail me to describe the horrors of hell. Again, think of the time of year when you rake leaves into a pile and, and you burn them. And I say to my wife, and she says to me, oh, I just love the smell of burning leaves. But there is no pleasant odor from hell's fires. John in the Revelation writes of that one who, sold, who was sold out to Satan's devices. He too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night. Revelation 14, verse 10 and 11. Talking about the smoke of tormented souls. And it's saying it's not a pleasant aroma. Finally, we think of fire as that which consumes. Say what you will about the California fires, all of us know full well that when the wood runs out, the fire runs out. It dies out. Fire consumes. But God has a fire which does not consume. Moses was attracted to the burning bush in the desert for the very fact that the burned bush burned on and on and on and was not consumed. Think of this. Of all God's little creatures, probably one of the most delicate, fragile of all is the worm, right? This invertebrae, consisting mostly of soft tissue, can be squashed into oblivion under the slightest pressure. But Jesus warned, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell where their worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, verse 47 and 48. The worm is not destroyed, and hell burns on and on and on nonetheless. So the wicked are not destroyed. The fire never runs out of fuel because the fuel it has is never consumed. The fire of hell is not annihilation. 
The mother of all fears is God's judgment, and it is punishment. Indeed, what Jesus called eternal punishment, Matthew 25, 46, it strikes fear into any intelligent, contemplative, sinful heart if you're a thinker and not a dreamer. then hell will not be your preferred place of internment. Now I had to start here because that's what the scripture talks to about hell. And let me say I've just scratched the surface on this. Did you know the Bible speaks more about hell than it does about heaven? It does. Look it up in your concords, your Strong's concords. Look up the word hell and then look up the word heaven and you'll see. But now secondly, perfect love drives out fear. This is very fearful that I've just talked about. But perfect love drives out fear. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What are Christians supposed to do when these fears of death and judgment come upon them? And come they, come they will. Satan will see to it that this fear comes to you. He is the master of fear. The writer of Hebrews tells us that one of the works of Christ that he did for his people was this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. That's what Christ has done. And so David wrote, Even though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is strange, don't you think? Here's a man contemplating death, but he says he's, did you get it? He's not afraid. Hmm. He considers his demise, but he takes comfort in God as he passes through the valley of the shadow of death. If it's a shadow, it's dark. So we're talking about the darkness of death too. Doesn't David know about judgment? Is he blind to the connection between God and judgment? Then how can he take comfort in death knowing that he's about to meet his maker? Well, it's because David is a believer. He has a relationship with God which is not defiant or rebellious or skeptical or accusatory. He has come to God in repentance and faith and he's trusting God to have dealt completely with his sins so as to sleep well at night and to know that if he does not awake in the morning, he will be with God, he will not be in hell. Amen. 
And this is the, prom- the premise of peace in our text as well. John says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And in this way we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because, well, fear has to do with punishment. David is not afraid of death because he's resting in God's love for him. He has confidence because of the special relationship which exists between him and God. Same with us as Christians. We are not self-confident. No, we are God-confident. We're not trusting in our own goodness, but in God's gracious love for us in his Son. If the sin issue is settled, then the fear of punishment dissipates. Well, how is the, the sin issue settled? We're all sinners, aren't we? Yes, we are. That's for sure. We do not obey God as we should, nor do we want to obey him at times because we prefer the pleasures of sin, even if but for a season or a moment. And so sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of every believer who is or is to come is the reason for Jesus coming to earth as a human being. John wrote earlier, but you know that he, referring to Jesus, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. 1 John 3, verse 5. Paul affirms the same truth, saying, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And you know what? Peter sings the same wonderful song. Peter sings, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 1 Peter 2, verse 22 and following. Jesus himself affirmed this mission. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 44 and 45. What's ransom? Well, ransom is the payment made to set a captive free. In our case, sin and Satan held us fast. But they lost their grip when Jesus paid the ransom price. The wages of sin being death. The prophets of the Old Testament foretold that the Messiah of God would perform this service. God spoke of wayward, disobedient Israel, and this is what he said, 
I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Oh, wow. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? Hosea 13, verse 14. Isaiah, writing of the coming servant of God, the Messiah, writes this. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of his people he was stricken, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Isaiah verse 11 and following. This, brethren, is what makes the gospel good news. It is good news to hear that God himself has made a pathway to him which ends in peace and not judgment. It is good news to hear that sinners can be forgiven of their sins on the merit of Jesus Christ and his work. It's good news to hear that salvation is God's work, not ours. Not even a corporate effort between us and God. It's good news that the motivating factor in reconciliation with God is God's love and mercy and grace and not our efforts. It's good news to know that what God does, he does thoroughly, irrevocably, permanently, with no change of mind or action. Wow. It is good news to be assured that since Jesus paid the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sin by offering himself, judgment has been averted for all who repent and believe, and death is no longer a scary thing. Paul writes it this way, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, the first two verses. We studied in 1 John 3, verse 19 and 20 which assured us that if we exhibit the same love of God for one another that God had for us, this then, is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at what? At rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Zephaniah, the prophet of the Old Testament, tells of the coming day of the Lord, and he writes about it in these terms. He says that, will, that day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Stop it, Zephaniah, we don't want to hear anymore. 
He goes on. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed. For he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. Before the appointed time arrives, and that day sweeps on like shaft, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger, says God. Zephaniah 1 and following. And yet, all of this being quite true and still on the radar as the consummate events of the age approach, Paul tells us, since we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Amen. Romans 5 verse 9. Or again, to the Thessalonian church, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10. Or in chapter 5 of the same book, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. These verses affirm that what Zephaniah predicted is still in the offing. It's still on the horizon. It's still coming, but the believer is exempt from it. Amen. Jesus exonerates us from God's wrath. How can he do that? First John 2 verse 1. If, anyone does, if anybody does sin, we believers, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brethren, this is act of love on God's part. And it is as we rest in this love that our fears are driven out. The love of spouse is sometimes fickle and people get divorced. That's true. But the God who hates divorce makes this promise. For a brief moment, I abandon you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Isaiah 54, verse 7 and 8. The love of parent for child is sometimes marred by desertion or abuse, but God says, 
He puts it this way. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Isaiah 49, verse 15 and following. And Jesus said of his sheep, No one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10, verse 28. This is the keeping power of God's love. God's love. Now what about love's labor of those that are loved by God? Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Verse 10 taught us that God is the one who initiates love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He's the initiator. In verse 19, we learn that our love is reactionary. That is to say, we love because he first loved us. Some text variations say we love him, but the pronoun him is not in the original here. Some scribe added it to complete a thought, but it's not the thought that God wants to be completed. <laughs> not within context. Because within context, John is talking about us loving one another, verse 20, as proof, as proof that we love God. But it's important to see that any love we have for God is reciprocal. That is, God loves us first and then we love him in return. We reciprocate. And I might say that he gives us the love that is reciprocating. <laughs> no men love God. And the proof we love God is that we love those whom God loves. That's interesting. Verse 21 makes it a command. Whoever loves God must love his brother. And this is so much the case that John says, if anyone says, well, I love God, and yet, and yet hates his brother... He is a liar. Good old John. He's in his 90s. He's on the island of Patmos. He's the only living apostle. All the other guys are dead and gone when he writes these words. And he doesn't pull any punches. Oh, you say you love God. Okay, but you hate your brother? Well, I don't got to tell you, you are a liar. And then he gives the logic. I like this. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, hmm, cannot love God whom he has not seen. We are sensory people. 
We look at things and we either like them or we don't like them. We hear things, we either like it or we don't like it. We smell things. That smells good. That smells terrible. And we certainly, in the area of taste, we taste things that we think are good. And we taste things which are terrible. We're sensory people. So John uses this. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we hate a brother in Christ, we become allies of Cain who hated his brother. And in Cain there was no eternal life. Chapter 3, verse 10 and following. But any love we exhibit towards one another, Jesus counts as love towards him. Let me read it for you. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Ah, there it is. Matthew 26, or excuse me, 25, verses 37 and following. For love to be perfected so that it drives out fear, we have to reach this level of love. For the one who fears is not perfected in love. We have some growing up to do in this area of love, don't we? Brethren, the grudges have to go. You have to forgive those who hurt you. You have to go on with God. And in that we demonstrate that his love is ruling in our hearts. If you don't know this love of God, I know why you don't. You've not made your peace with God about your sin. There are people that just, frankly, they love their sin. They love sin more than they love God. They love sin more than righteousness. They love sin so much, they love the way they are, and they do not want to change. And they know that if they come to God, they're going to have to change. Well, those are your alternatives. You can stay in your sin and your love of self and end up in hell. Or you can come to repentance of your sin and trust Jesus and claim his righteousness for yourself and let your sin go. Let the anger go. 
and end up in glory. I want the latter, don't you? Praise the Lord. He's found a way to deal with wrath, his wrath for sin, and yet be merciful to us who are sinners. Why would we ever turn that away? Yet people do. Thank you, dear Lord, for your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He took it. He took the brunt of your wrath. He swallowed it up. He digested it. He implemented all of the judgment that came upon us for our sin. He took it in and he paid the price. Oh, and by the way, dear Lord, thank you for the scripture says that you did not spare your own son, but poured out on him the iniquity of us all. If we ever have the satanic notion that God was lenient on Jesus when he poured out his wrath for our sin, we need to be reminded of that scripture. You didn't spare your son. You poured it out on him so that we can go to bed at night and sleep with the confidence every sin we ever did, will do, or is yet to come in our lives. Every sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing left for us except to be thankful and appreciative. We bless thee this morning. We thank you, dear God, for such a thorough finished salvation. Jesus said it best from his cross, Father, it is finished. We just pray that for any here that are outside of Jesus, may you find them today and draw them into this great love that they might abandon the wrath to come. Lord, please bring your people home in Jesus' name. Amen. From Trinity Hymnal, that's the red hymnal, number 649, 649. Jared will come and lead us in this closing hymn. He has love for us, but this hymn writer is saying, Oh, ah, more love to thee, O Christ. <laughs> that's his prayer. That ought to be our prayer. We just get a glimpse of what he's done for us, the depth of it all. That will help us. Let's stand together as we sing.
the challenge of verse 2. He speaks about his past here. He says, once, once upon a time, once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek, so give what is best. This all my prayer shall be. More love to thee. Well, what are you living for? A new home? A new bank account? A bigger bank account? What about more love to thee? More love to Christ. Do you know all that we have? We're to be stewards of all that we have. Steward means that... um, we manage it for somebody else. In our case, we manage what we have, our resources and so forth, for God, not for our own enjoyment. And we know that whatever we have in this world's possessions, wood, hay, stubble, that's what's going to be. Fires are going to burn it all. But only what's done for Christ is going to last. So where is your emphasis? Where are we putting? More love to thee, I hope need to grow in love for Christ. It doesn't come naturally. The Spirit of God teaches us to love Christ. But we're still fight the flesh. You know, I want this. I deserve this. Yeah. But Christ emptied himself of all that he was and all that he had that he might be made sin for us. Pay the debt. Wow. What great love. Well, I remind you that tonight, uh, this afternoon, is uh, the outing at um, 
I forgot the name of the place. Big Fair Fish Lake down in Ortonville Rec Center. It's easy to go to. You can just go over to Hadley. You know, they have a stop sign there in the middle of Little Hadley. That's Hadley Road. Hang a left and drive till you get to the center. I'm sure there'll be somebody there that'll say, hey, I see you. And uh, come on down and uh, bring the food that you uh, dish to pass. And if you want to do hamburgers and hot dogs, bring those for yourself. And we'll have a good time. We are dismissed. Thank you.